thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Sits and sieves, captains and commanders, you're tuned to the guard frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 182 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast Ever, and was recorded on Friday, August 25th, and made available for download Tuesday, August 29th, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Ostron. I'm Jeff. And I'm Ken Shadow. And in the audio booth this week is Tony! So, what do we have in store this week, Ken Shadow? Well, in this week's Squawk Box, it's not one, but two successes for the old muskie. Next, we'll see what news from your favorite space sims has landed as we cover all the Star Citizen news coming out of a small, relatively unknown event called Gamescom, and it's open beta season for Elite Dangerous. Finally, we tune in the feedback loop and let you join in the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on with the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, Crypter, 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 this is Jeff saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. Elon Musk and company keep notching their belts with achievements lately, and on Thursday the 24th, they added two more. Unfortunately, one of them was not tripling in production of the Tesla Model 3. If you want one, you're still going to have to wait a long time. No. As you might have guessed, it was SpaceX that crossed some milestones. First up, they successfully deployed the Formasat 5 satellite into orbit. The satellite is a weather analysis satellite and is on a five-year mission to analyze the weather. However, it is noteworthy for being the first satellite 100% constructed by the Taiwan Space Agency. They went into space on one of SpaceX Falcon 9 rockets, and SpaceX got the rocket successfully landed on the drone ship afterward. The receiving ship was called Just Read the Instructions, so obviously SpaceX still has some staff with a sense of humor. (laughs) The landing marked SpaceX's 15th successful recovery on a Falcon 9 since they began. Unfortunately, the achievement is somewhat marred by the fact that it's two years late. Due to problems with other Falcon 9 launches, the date was pushed by two years. That resulted in SpaceX missing out on some business. They were supposed to also have carried a payload from Seattle's space flight industries, but they opted to find an alternative means of deployment after the delays. Still, success of the launch shows that new achievements are still being made in the realm of space exploration and development. I I like this because it shows that this is becoming commonplace, and that's what we need is going into space being commonplace. Yeah, and 15 successful landings, including several on the boat, suggests that SpaceX is sort of getting their act together as far as the recoverable, reusable rocket sections. You know, after a certain amount of success, I mean, launching um, sea recovery is, is more expensive than if it was just landing back where it launched from, certainly. So they could save a lot of money if they were to ground land this thing. Well, the problem is it's only the first stage of the rocket that gets to land. Yeah, right. It's still, got a, it's, it's still got a second and a third stage that just jettison and drop like the, the traditional yeah, they rockets. Break, so they the, break up, right, and they fall in the ocean. 
the second and third. Yeah, but that's that's why it still has to be over the ocean because there's still some debris coming down. This story really gives me faith that engineers can still come up with snarky names for ships. I'm, I'm kind of wondering what the story behind just read the instructions is. You know, was it was it originally not named read the fucking manual or? <laughs> And someone said, PC that up a little bit. Or was it was it more like someone was being a smartass and they go, what's the name of the ship? And someone said, just read the instructions. It's the top of the page or something like that. But, <laughs> but RT, RTFM is a common acronym. I mean, that would have been great. RTFM. We wouldn't know what yeah, it meant. Yeah, well, you know, the, the news reporters would have asked what it meant. And then, you know, they would have looked it up in Urban Dictionary and it would have been all over. So... I don't know if journalists consider Urban Dictionary to be a viable source of information. Besides, there's so many words you can uh, appropriately, like, read, read the friggin' manual or something, you know, they, or read the fracking manual. I mean, they could have put a little Battlestar Galactica in Well, uh, <laughs> the, the naming conventions of these ships are from Ian Banks novels. Have you guys read the culture novels from Ian Banks? I've read, I've one, read, I've read one two of or them. three yeah, of so, them. That the, the naming conventions are from the artificial intelligence minds that control the ships, and they have a lot of them have like ridiculous names that are you know uh, like a, a phrase rather than just like a single word, like we traditionally associate with ships. And a lot of them are quite funny, and so I think this is that's the vibe they're going for here, and they're nailing it. It's good to see that they are having a sense of humor as well as telling everybody to go read a book because even if you're landing fancy mm-hmm. drone ships. On you know, rockets on drone ships, you still need to go read a good book. Kids. Read, seen, or heard something that you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawkatguardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, trigger screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. So in a chain of events dripping with irony, everyone who tuned in for the announced start of the live stream were told five to ten minutes after the start time passed that the live stream was delayed and they couldn't give a solid ETA on when it would start. They did manage to get the live stream going about an hour late, beginning with a full-length commercial for the new 600i and a promo-type video for 3.0. They didn't have a business summary-type PowerPoint as they usually do. Whether that was omitted for the sake of time or because they never planned on having it for the presentation is unknown. What they did have was an extensive demo of what we're going to call 3.0 plus because there was some stuff in there that isn't actually going to be available in 3.0. To clarify for listeners who may be concerned we're skipping things, we're going to give a quick summary of the 3.0 demo shown at Gamescom, then dive deeper into things like facial recognition and missions. The demo showed a player waking up, using their Moby Glass to select a walking around outfit, then check their mission board. A mission was selected from Eckhart Securities, so the player then had to go meet Miles Eckhart in a bar. All of this was happening on Levski. After some brief dialogue with NPC, the full details of the mission were transmitted to the Moby Glass. The player then met up with another player. They were both conversing using the in-game VOIP system, which features dynamic sound based on position of the listener, among other things. The two-player's mission was to retrieve a black box from a ship that had been shot down by a crime syndicate. They went to some stores to buy some supplies, then called a friend to pick them up in a Connie. Driving onto the ship in an Ursa rover, they docked with the Connie, which then took them to the planet moon in question. They retrieved a 
black box after disembarking from the rover, at which point a cutlass and a buccaneer made short work of the landed Connie. They drove away in the Ursa, where one player used a railgun to eliminate the cutlass. They then called for reinforcements and got picked up by an Idris. The Idris launched fighters to take out the remaining bogeys, picked up the players, and were then attacked by a pirate Idris while leaving the area. First, let's discuss the mundane stuff. Most of the Moby Glass menus and interactions weren't new if you've been paying attention to ATV. Same with the NPCs. Theoretically, subsumption is in effect, and Chris mentioned Levski had about 200 NPCs wandering around doing jobs and stuff. It definitely made the area look populated, but there wasn't enough time spent to prove that the NPCs were reacting dynamically. The interaction system was slightly less clunky than people have been used to. A button can be designated as the interact button, which will highlight objects the player can use. Clicking on said object while the interact button is held down will get things done. What we didn't mention in our summary is that they crashed on their first attempt after they arrived at their destination planet. That stretched things out a bit, but was also informative for showing how things might work in the long term. Miles Eckert visually looked good and his dialogue sounded natural, if a bit cliched. It's worth noting that when they had to pick up the mission the second time, the audio dialogue was identical both times, and there was no way to skip it. It's possible that this was a result of the demo, or because it was literally the exact same mission. Another thing Chris mentioned was that competitive missions either are or will be a feature in the mission system. That means that players could theoretically be given opposing sides of the same mission. So while it was obviously staged for the demo, the ideal for Star Citizen is that the two Idris crews would have received their assignments from NPC mission givers and their in-game conflict resulted from the opposing tasks. Visually, the game looked great as always, though the planet to space and back again transitions still suffer from obvious LOD draws. As mentioned previously, however, that's a late stage quality of life improvement most people aren't expecting them to handle at this juncture. Another quick note, the demo was done with players chatting as if they were playing the game spontaneously. The quality of the quote spontaneous dialogue put people in mind of last year when Chris and Sandy tried to act like news announcers. The general consensus among Twitch chatters and the research badgers is that CIG should probably either actually do spontaneous chatting or they just should let Chris do all the talking. So one thing I, I picked up from all this is that is I'm still thinking that this game is dissembling down into another PvP game, be it you know, space combat or ground combat or whatnot. And if they still intend on doing the whole death thing that they were doing, this is not going to play well with. I mean, if every time you go out and expect to do battle, every time you go on a mission or something, that's just not going to, that's just really not going to cut it for the whole universe thing. Well, the opposing missions was mentioned as a possibility. I mean, obviously, given the nature of this mission, assuming the PU were in its final form or what we've been told the final form will look like, it's obviously a like low security system where there isn't much general enforcement. You're investigating the site where a pirate attack had already happened, so obviously there's pirate activity in the area. They didn't say that every single mission is going to have a an opposing part of it that's being offered to less law-abiding 
citizens. Like if you're just doing missions that are trade runs inside the civilized areas of the galaxy, I doubt there's going to be as much possibility for combat. Yeah, they were talking about multiple crews that each owned Idris's. I don't think this is necessarily a, a low-level adventure. It's retrieving a black box. Yeah. It's a fetch quest. How much yeah, lower, lower, I, lower level can you exactly. get? Exactly. Well, lo, it's low It's low complexity, but you're fetch, in that scenario, you're fetching a black box or from a ship that has been shot down by pirates. Like, they knew at least that much. And, I mean, when they're in, in the real world, when they're retrieving black boxes, they don't, like, farm that out to a fishing boat. They send the military. Well, but I mean, in this particular case, I, I got to go with Jeff. And I think that the more likely explanation is that their AI is just not ready to run a Corvette and two pet ships. You know, it's, it's just not up to the task of running a multiple ship fleet in any kind of coherent uh, fashion yet. So I think it's probably it was probably smarter for them to crew it with with people. But I don't like the idea of me taking a mission at a bar and someone else taking the stop Tony mission at some other bar. I don't like that. Well, what's the... Um what, what, would, what would happen if it was AI? You would just watch the demo and it'd been, oh, uh, you know, oh, I just saw them fight some guy, fight some AI. That's fine. They're, they're, I mean, I think their point, though, is that this thing we're talking about, this counter-mission thing, is a unique experience. You know, you don't get a lot of other MMOs that give, that, that there's counter-missions for. Again, that's neat. I'm not interested. <laughs> like, I'm that's fine. Jeff. Whatever. I'm not terribly interested in a PvP experience for the most right, part. Right, but there's, but there's nothing... I mean, back to my original point was that it's not something you're unable to opt out of. But there are supposed to be fairly obvious patterns to the missions they have no reason to obfuscate the system to the point where they're going to be like, oh, you didn't want to fight anybody, but you took a mission and now there's 50 people jumping on top of you trying to gank your ship. Like, why would they want to do that as part of their system? As long as it's on the list. Well, I think the, the, other, the other question we need to ask ourselves here about this opposing mission system is what happens if there's no pirates that are currently available? Right? Do you just go down there and get the black box and then that's it? And you just had an easy mission? No, I bet there's AI. Yeah, exactly. Do NPCs take their their position if you get to a certain point and no players have shown up? I, I actually think it would be kind of neat if it were like that. Like, if you grab the mission quick enough and get there, like, if they'd taken a, an M50 with a jump drive instead of a Connie, maybe they can get in, land, grab the box, and get out before the other side even shows up. I think that would be much more interesting emergent gameplay than, uh, well, the people we hired to do this didn't get their ass in gear, so now we're going to throw AI at you instead. Well, you, you also run on the other side of things. If if the, if the enemy uh, ship had their pilot had a, had a computer crash, <laughs> the good guys didn't have a computer crash, <laughs> then, then, what, that, then you still run into the same situation and you don't even have to have the M50. I, I guess I, I'd be interested to know what they're thinking long term on how to keep these missions consistent in terms of difficulty for per payout if your if the PVP element is 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 skewed. Another good example here would be let's say these group this group of players that ran in and they all have super hornets and then the 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 pirates are all newbies and they all have auroras and they show up to and they're like oh no right you know we're going we're supposed to be stopping these guys but they all have super hornets what that, that has a bit of an asymmetric thing. I mean, they both signed up for this quote-unquote PvP mission, so maybe that they know this. But 
the asymmetric elements are not a um, not conducive for a mission system in particularly. You know, so it'll be interesting to know how what, if if these are missions that are along a progression. So you kind of have to have some sort of PVP chops before you get a uh, PVP opposed mission. But whether this is something you just kind of stumble into as you're going through the storylines. Yeah, or what if you squadron up and you've got a wing of super hornets and then somebody's uh, connection goes out and someone else's kid stubs their toe and then, you know, uh, somebody else uh, didn't pay the internet bill that week. So, I mean, and then all of a sudden you're all by yourself and you're one super hornet versus... Well, that's that's a little different. I mean, you go, to, you go, to, you go, you go do a raid in WoW. And half your raid drops out. Well, you have to stop the raid because you're not going to beat defeat the boss with half the half right. the group. And, right, and and there's uh, all kinds of bad and poor connections and all kinds of stuff. Uh, however, there is another layer to this that I would have liked to have seen. Being being the the uh, guard frequency as we are, I would have liked to have seen them having this mission generate or that or the players generate another mission for. Uh, search and rescue for the down pilots that were happening out there. Sure. I mean, Which, they did call for yeah. help, but I think that was a contrivance, not anything that's in the system. Right. Well, their their response time was probably a, a bit of a contrivance. But yeah, there was a, uh, although I think in that scenario, they were, they were contacting, you know, a theoretical player they already knew. But there was something like that mechanic where they contacted someone they knew for help and they weren't part of the original mission and they showed up they happened to have an interest with some supporting fighters on it but yeah I, I think that was an example of a way that you know guard frequency as an organization would operate not in a combat role this is more in a in a search and rescue role well yeah but I mean if it's similar the mechanic is similar right. even if the details are different well, it's actually it's actually heartening in the in the fact that we got to see a little more detail about how their comms work and the whole uh, render to texture talking head thing going on now, and so it's a little more immersive for with, when calling for help or calling for somebody to come help you, and you know it's a little more of a cinematic feel. What do you think of the mission system as we saw it? Do opposing missions sound unique and emergent? Or is it just going to sabotage those not interested in PvP? We value a rating. Let us, so let us know. Details in a bit. The big technical treat of this year's presentation was what CIG is calling Face Over IP. They showed off their in-game VOIP system as soon as they could, and everyone was duly impressed by the fact that as people moved apart or turned away, the sound position and volume adjusted appropriately. It also automatically applied radio sound filters when the characters put on helmets or were communicating over a comms channel. But the centerpiece was when they showed off their facial tech. Allegedly, the technology they've implemented requires nothing more sophisticated than a regular webcam. If enabled, the tech can track players' faces with the webcam and actually reflect the expressions and movements of the head on screen on the player's avatar. If you turn your head left, your character turns their head left. A yawn will see your avatar's jaw stretching. If you can manage a Spock eyebrow raise, the character's going to do the same thing. The technology was developed in conjunction with a company called Faceware Technologies, whose vice president gave a video hello to the crowd in a pre-recorded message. 
He highlighted the fact that webcams record at 30 frames per second, and while that's fast enough to translate most obvious facial movements, the mouth might not sync up 100% if you're speaking. To that end, the company has developed gadgets called facial motion sensors, quote-unquote. These things will track users' faces at 60 frames per second, which the facewear VP Peter Bush says will give a much better chance of the lips and the sounds being in sync. On screen, they showed the real people playing the game and their avatars moving as their head and face did. The responsiveness was impressive, particularly for things like forehead and lip movement. That said, there were definitely uncanny valley issues where the facial contortions were not fully supported by the avatar's geometry. So, some unnerving visuals resulted. There was no price or release date given for these facial motion sensor devices, though many of our research badgers assume they will be competitive with tracker IR and 60 frames per second webcams. The prices would have to be competitive to make the gadgets marketable. Also, none of this was actually going to be in the 3.0 release. Chris mentioned they were targeting 3.1 for that to make it in. But how long that will take will actually be anyone's guess. So I see lots of opportunity in this technology, both in terms of just in-game role-playing, uh, people doing machinima, uh, just interacting in general with your environment and immersion. I think it all sounds really cool. It was, it was a very impressive system. The Uncanny Valley problem is probably going to put some people off, though. I think that is a primarily a factor of the early integration. So a lot of the a lot of the expressions the characters made, it was obvious that the technology wasn't tuned for it. In my opinion, like a lot of times you they'd, you'd see the the person all of a sudden had this like rictus grin on their face or like some sort of grimace, and you're like, oh, the person's probably smiling, and it's just not mapped yet right. enough. So I you know I, I'm hoping that they'll they'll get over some of those issues. Well, I'm I, I'm kind of interested because I uh, Tony has one too. I have my track IR, and uh, they're great devices, and they and they really bring immersion into the uh, games that you're playing, especially in space sims and other first-person shooters or other other games of that ilk. And the nice thing about I'm hoping about the cameras, and I hope they're priced uh, appropriately, is that the fact they don't have to wear a special clip on my head or on my uh, headphones um, to make it function. Right, which will be really nice. I can just sit down and fire things up, and and uh, you know, immediately immersed in my game. And I hope that it works for as many things as my track IR does. That will be a bonus. Yeah, they haven't really said about what the third-party software that you potentially have to install in your system to drive this would be, and whether whether it would fit into the same niche as track IR. I mean, we know it tracks the face and and tracks all your expressions and stuff, and also tracks the direction, which when tracking the direction, plugs into Star Citizen and lets you actually look around like track IR. But whether that actually plugs into the same like joystick control uh, software that track IR does and lets you control other systems the way track IR does, I think we don't know. Um, it'll be really interesting to find out. Yeah, it, it seems to me like, I mean, they did demo it um, with the, one of the players and then he did look around the bar while he was talking to the, uh, you know, the other player. So, I mean, it, it seemed like it was integrated pretty smoothly, but whether or not the faceware company is going to sell that technology separate and apart from being embedded in Star Citizen that was not addressed at all and probably wouldn't be in a forum such as the Star Citizen Gamescom. 
I hope it is. If it is, it may be tied to the hardware device itself, and just like Track IR is. Just like Track IR, yeah, exactly. And because it did, they they did sort of imply that it could run off just a regular webcam. So I guess theoretically, they could just sell the webcam or just sell the software, mm-hmm. uh, which would be kind of awesome. Or it's embedded already in the Star Citizen code, and they don't need to sell any extra software. Well, I'd like them to because I'd like to play with that in Elite Dangerous. I know. I would. I would too. If it's integrated only in only in Star Citizen, then yeah, Jeff has no reason to get rid of Track IR because Star Citizen is the only game that the system's going to work for. Personally, I hope it dry it dry it makes Track IR drop their price because yeah. their technology is well over a decade old yes. at this point, and they're still hundred and fifty dollars for what is basically a super low resolution black and white camera and some LEDs. Yeah. There's the, what you're really paying for is the software because they have their APIs locked behind a bunch of DRM. Right, and, and also you get this this snazzy clip with these reflectors on that <laughs> make you look like an I absolute know that clip. dork. I got one of those. Let's see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, you do get you get you do get to look like a, a, an absolute dork for no extra charge. So you got that <laughs> yeah. going for you, which is great. Our second Star Citizen community question. What's your impression of the so-called face-over IP? Is it a revolutionary system supported by a neat peripheral or an unnerving gimmick with debatedly relevant hardware? Tell us which side you came down on. We'll let you know how in a moment. The end of the presentation was a pew-pew lover's dream. A friendly Idris picked up the stranded mission crew, was called out by a competing pirate Idris with the appropriate skin, and they went head-to-head in a space battle using anti-ship weapons and launching and recovering fighters. There was an attempt to recover the Ursa rover by use of a deployable ramp, but the ramp behaved less like a ramp and more like a large carving knife. R.I.P. Ursa. The turret gunning, interior corridors and a bridge, and the fighter launch and recovery system were all on full display and seemed to be running without many hitches. It went well enough that after a pre-scripted conflict, they reset the system and had the two frigate crews go head-to-head without so-called stormtrooper shooting to ensure a friendly victory. Even so, the good Idris managed to come out on top in both fights. I was personally disappointed. One thing worth noting is that the time to kill both engagements was around two to three minutes. Both used primarily ship-to-ship weapons, Neither frigate had bombers of any kind. If and when players get to use the ship in game, the idea of losing a behemoth like the Idris in that amount of time will certainly be a point of debate. Unfortunately, like the face tracking software, flyable Idrises, Idri, Idri, uh, are a thing that won't be dropping immediately in 3.0. They didn't make much of it during the actual presentation, but the first thing many people saw on the live stream was the commercial for the new 600i ship. A medium-sized vessel, the idea seems to be that this is Origin's in-universe answer to the Connie for the rich and lazy. A luxury version of the ship features a cabin for transporting up to five people, while an exploration configuration has space for docking an Origin X-1, the Origin Ursa equivalent. The wording of the descriptors and the in-universe brochures refers to the options, either explore or luxury, as modules. This has some of our research badgers wondering if the 600i will function like a retaliator with swappable ship sections that fit into one hull. There was no indication of that in the commercial or in the sale, but there is no outright denial either. We're hoping it will be cleared up in the inevitable Q&A. 
Now for the bad news. If you're ponying up real money, a luxury 600i sets you back $375. Add $25 for the Explorer variant and add another $25 and $35 respectively if you're using the store credit. Bundle offers include $770 in real cash or $835 in credit for both types together with a single X1 Rover. Of course, if you have two grand you don't know what to do with, you can give it to CIG and they'll let you have every origin vehicle announced or developed so far, including the 890 Jump. So, yeah, anybody, anybody got the extra money just burning a hole in their pocket? Anybody require one of these? Well, I was going to, like, add some paving to my driveway and expand it to fit more cars, but, you know, given this offer, I don't really know if I can I can justify Tarmac is overrated. Yeah. Hey, I just I just applied for two credit cards just so I could buy tires for my vehicle. I, I think that I might have a little extra on there to, to... Rubber is overrated. Yeah. A lot of people think the Explorer is pretty cool. And I, they, they think it's probably competitive with a Carrick, but then again... It's the, the price difference between the Carrick and the uh, 600i Explorer is probably cosmetic rather than functional, and the Carrick probably has more functionality overall. Well, they've always tried to make Origin the Audi of the spaceships, so yeah. I mean, it makes sense that the ship is slightly more expensive. You're, you're paying for the looks and for the, ex- the quote-unquote exclusivity of it because the fact that it costs more is a reason it costs more. It's got a Kardashian. Hey, uh, <laughs> I, I, I would gladly trade mine, my uh, Aquila in for a Phoenix, and then they can trade that off to to get the XI. I, I like the Connie and its and its accoutrements. You like the hot tub? Yeah, this is not coming out with a hot tub, I don't think. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I don't know. They haven't really said what's in the luxury variant. Like, why is it luxury? Like, it has like half the cargo area, but they don't say why. Maybe there's two hot tubs. So where does that space go? Is it just the king size bed, or I say second hot tub, like a mas- like a massage chair? Yeah, maybe it's a hot tub, the, or the auxiliary like, you know, hot tub, the backup, ping pong right. table, the emergency, the, the emergency hot tub. <laughs> yes, you got to have redundancy. That's in your right. Hot that's tub right. Hot tub redundancy systems. That's right. That's correct. Maybe it's a really big fish tank. I I did want to quickly poll. Did anyone else think the amount of time those Idris battles lasted was off? Should have been too. Should have been longer. Should have been shorter. So some of the comments I've seen in in um, on chats was they didn't think the Idri had their shields up. Says so and the other thing was that both of the Idri were getting hit um, with the railgun on the front of the Idris, right? Because they were just they were facing each other directly, especially in the, in the second fight where one of them try, they they kind of ram each other and then one of them kind of goes up. Um, in a, uh, a perpendicular fashion, and they're right on the tip of it, and so the guy just starts hammering him with the, the railgun right in there and explodes. Do these guys know how to capital ship battles? I mean, do they know how to do this? Or well, or? I don't. Th- 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 <laughs> we didn't see the torpedo launchers going off, which would have been uh, appropriate for like a broadside. So mm, it, it could be a fact of just what they have on the ships currently, and the fact the railgun is so powerful. And that normally you would maybe try and get a railgun off and then go broadsides and do torpedoes. And maybe that might be part of it, too. It just tech, available technology. It depends. on. I mean, uh, uh, for the example, for Elite Dangerous, I mean, you can have you can lose a cutter in, in 60 seconds if you're up against a heavily engineered opponent. I mean, you can you can go from full shields to nothing pretty quick if the other guy knows what he's doing. But if it's two equally equipped opponents uh, going head-to-head, I think it should probably last longer than that. There should be, 
and especially if you're going to have a crew or a multi-crew or an NPC crew or a bunch of buddies, people should have time to repair the engines and bring the shields back up and jam the other guy's radar. I mean, there needs to be, this needs to be a, a raid, like, like Ken Shadow was saying. This needs to be a 15 or 20 minute sort of ordeal to bring down another capital ship, if it's it equally should, matched. It should, honestly, one of the uh, outcomes possibly of bringing down someone's shields and hurting their ship isn't that the ship gets destroyed, it's that you potentially get that ship if you board it and right. you kill the crew and stuff like that. And it should be, honestly, a slog to get through someone's ship, no matter what's going, going yeah. on. Now, Another Idris is probably the best way to get through an Idris's shields, so you're still using the best tool available. But um, I, yeah, I agree with Tony; it should take longer. The other thing I was thinking along the same lines is we don't know that those Idris's were equally decked out weapon-wise either. I thought it was very likely that the pirate Idris may have been nerfed by comparison, just to guarantee the sort of hero story played out the way they wanted it to. Well, the, the turrets didn't seem like they were auto-gunning. It seemed like they actually had to have people in them because they were showing vantage points of people that were in the turrets. So if the Pirate Idris didn't have enough guys to man the turrets, then then maybe they just simply weren't having it. They were not putting as much firepower on the other team. Right. And they had, like, what, I think 10 people playing, and we saw at least at least three of them on the, quote, good Idris, and all of its turrets were going, so... Yeah, yeah. the the pirate Idris may well have been under crude. Yeah, that's true. And and, and it also, uh, you know, you don't we don't know what the percentage of damage being done from Idris to Idris versus what what amount of damage is being done by the fighters too, because the fighters were engaging outside as well. I didn't see any bombers, but who knows how that's balanced right now too. Our final Star Citizen community question: What was your reaction to the Idris combat? How about the six hundred I? Whether you were jumping for joy or groaning, we want to know. Send your descriptions or live video reactions along to our usual channels. Details to come. Uh, Tony, really, how long have I been begging for a, for a Phoenix, you know, in trade? Uh, as long <laughs> as it's been out, yeah. as, as I can recall. Yeah, I mean, as long as it's been out. They didn't say what patch the Idris is going to be in, did they? They didn't. I mean, the, the unspoken implication was that everything they showed that isn't in 3.0 is targeted for 3.1. Can, can we but talk about we the have, unspoken implication here for a second? Uh, I, I, for I, a second, I find the unspoken it implication sounds like you want a soapbox. So no, I'm I, it's going to be a short one. It's going to be. A, I swear <laughs> it'll be short. I swear it'll be short. I have no. I cannot. I can't guarantee what happens to happen with Ken Shadow when I get done. But. What I what I saw today was a vertical slice of an eventual star citizen, whether it's 3.1 or 4.6 or minimum viable product or release candidate one. I don't know what you're going to call it, but I saw what I saw today was a vertical slice of what a star citizen uh, gameplay session could eventually be. The only thing that I was a little bit taken aback about was that it still isn't polished, and that to me is a little bit. It's a little disconcerting because all those types of mechanics are things that are. This is like the one. This is one career path, right? This is the sort of bounty hunter, soldier of fortune guy, right? You go in, into a dangerous place and retrieve something, and get into a fight. So I would have liked to have seen that work a little more cleanly before it got out because this is beginning to look like the game that we might have pledged for. Again, we talked about maybe too much PvP in there, but I wish it had been a little more 
polished before they decided to take the big step of here's what Star Citizen could be one day. It's a vertical slice in the same way that the CitizenCon demo from last year was a vertical slice. And so it, it, it is almost a continuation demo in many cases, right? It is the, basically the, all of the same features you saw last year, plus a bunch of stuff that will not be in 3.0. If you notice, all of the stuff that was really new is the stuff that won't be in 3.0. There wasn't like a bunch of unannounced stuff that is all of a sudden going to show up in 3.0. And thus, anything that you're talking about that's new and also has most of the bumps you're talking about is stuff that they're not planning on releasing soon, TM. Soon, right? TM. It's, but I mean, yeah, so it is. It's six months away, or a year away, or two years away, or whatever the hell case may be. Yeah. Right? It's different. It's not the same thing. Yeah, and, and if we go, if we go, if we go with that analysis, it's like, well, they showed it last year at Citizen Con or Gamescom, and so a year later, we're now getting sort of what they showed us last year, minus the sandworm, mm-hmm. of course. And then, so they're going to show us this, and so are we to expect that next September? September 2018. God, I hope not. I mean, I really hope it doesn't take them a full year to get these, some of these features in, but you know what? This is Star Citizen. you got to be prepared to wait. <laughs> Buckle right? in for a long ride. <laughs> yeah, you're, if, you're, if, you're not, if you're not in a waiting kind of guy, you're probably not, a, not listening to this podcast, right? Right. So. Right. See, that wasn't that bad, Ostron. It's like three minutes. Uh, yeah, okay. The only major news of note from Elite Dangerous this week is the commencement of the open beta period for patch 2.4. In addition to the tweaks we discussed last week, Frontier released an updated list of fixes and adjustments that accompanied this release. We have a link in the show notes to the complete list, but here are a few standouts. Default key bindings for a mouse and keyboard have been added for external vanity camera system. They fixed some overinflated mission rewards, which we're sure will be just fine with everyone. They've adjusted the mission stack count advance change. Now, mission counter will advance on multiple missions if those missions originated from different factions. (laughs) Again, if Frontier follows their usual pattern for decimal releases, there should be at least one more hundredths place release prior to the patch going live. Then the Thargoids return, and we're all doomed. Yeah, yeah, not much here, except for the they're tweaking the mission stacking, and you heard Jeff's reaction there. It's yeah, yeah. If you if you go in and you there's three different factions offering the same scan mission, you can go there, you can stack them all up, and then they'll advance once per faction. But if you've got three missions stacked from the same faction, they're not doing that anymore. It's just you got to make it through the first mission, and then you start on the next mission, then you start on the next one. So so. How exclusive are the faction affiliations? Like, how how much of an imposition is this to get the missions from different factions? Yeah, not 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 terribly likely. I mean, the and I, I can speak mostly for the massacre missions. The the massacre missions are very lucrative once you hit the higher ranks because you it's destroying ships. It's you know it's my favorite thing. And it basically, it's two factions. The way the background simulation works is that two factions will fight against each other, and they'll be exclusively enemies for whatever period the, the simulation decides. So it'll be faction X versus faction Y. And you can pick either faction, and you can fight either one. You can take missions from both the same t- at the same time, but it's just this one versus this one. Some scanning missions you can take from two or three different factions if they want the same beacon scanned, but frequently it's because there's some sort of conflict or, com- or competition going on, and again, it's one versus one. So uh, it, 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 it's... 
so for some things, it's going to be okay, like some scan missions. But for the really lucrative stuff, the stuff that I'm interested in, doesn't doesn't matter. See, in Elite, most of the times you're landing on a, a planet base or a station that is that belongs to a faction or a sub faction of, of of the major faction. So it's unlikely that you'll see competing factions unless you want to pop around to all the different faction bases and stack up your missions and then go out. Yeah, it's just not time. It's just not time efficient. I. Unless they drop the requirements for faction rep or or are, are really blowing up the uh, mission payouts or are really bumping up the mission payouts, I can't see this thing being a good thing for, for Elite. I, I, I really think they'll lose a lot of players over this one thing. I, it's, it is... The, 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 they, there are long... I'm kind of an old school guy. It took me a long time to grind up to a clipper. I'm yeah. going to go ahead and use the word grind. It took me a long yep. time to grind a up grind. to a clipper. And, but once you got there, once I got there, I was able to rank up my combat ranking relatively fast. And once you got that, those missions became much more lucrative. I think the secret sauce might be either concentrate on getting rep with a local station so that those payouts go up quickly, or concentrate on ranking up with one of the factions so that that rank goes up quickly, or concentrate on getting one of your expertise ranks up so that that goes up quickly. Because it kind of, it, it's kind of a domino thing. Don't try to do all three at once. Pick one thing and then yeah, really hit that Yeah, but you're okaying this. This is not, this changes your gameplay and your and what you want to do in Elite, you know, pretty much, oh, I'm going to stick here. I'm not going to go explore anywhere. I'm not going to go help my buddies. I'm too busy taking these well, single missions, grinding to something that I could have probably popped out in a much less time. Well, they did really, really, really boost exploration. I mean, they gave that a hell of a shot in the arm. So I think I think what they are incentivizing at this point is getting people out into the galaxy. Now, again, and we're going to have the Thargoids coming, so there may be a whole different set of payouts for that. They may be paving the way for a new subset of missions and making those more lucrative, but at the same time, Rather than having another round of inflation, they're saying let's let's knock these other ones back a bit to make room in the economy for these Thargoid missions, which will probably pay out more. I I, I anticipate that we're going to have some pretty lucrative Thargoid missions uh, to go with the already fairly lucrative exploration, but massacres and scanning are going to take a back seat now because they'd much rather have people doing this this content, this newer content. And this week's Elite Dangerous Community Question, who's ready to die at the hands, or maybe pincers, of our new insect overlords? Did Frontier get it right with the mission tweaks? Let us know via our usual channels. Details are on the way. But now it's time for news we didn't use. Dual Universe is entering its pre-alpha phase, which will be rolled out to backers at the end of September. SIG has put up the Aspera Glaive on sale again. You have to enter the code GAMESCOM2017 in all caps to get access. But after that, you're free to grab this Vanduul Imitator ship for $350. There was a limit of 1000 when it started, so they may be all gone by the time you hear this. Frontier announced their super-secret project based on a world-famous IP... And it's Jurassic Park. Yay? 
Never go. CIG did release separate burndown report after the live stream. Bug count is down to 67. And as Brian keeps pointing out, that's prior to uh, subsumption integration. So don't get too happy on that 67. Really Jurassic Park? Really? Jurassic Park. Yeah. I, I, they got well, Planet Coaster. It's Planet Coaster. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the Planet Coaster team. Yeah, Frontier's other major realm is simulation building games. So it doesn't, I mean, that doesn't really surprise me. I, you know, I think this one... You know, some some games can really draw on, based on their IP, and some games uh, really draw on their gameplay. They're going to need to have pretty good gameplay because I don't think that people are going to necessarily, you know, rush the doors to get play a Jurassic Park game. But Planet Coaster seems to be doing okay, so they've got a decent reputation for being, you know, good amusement park sim creators. So, uh, and that's that's sort of a niche market. Like yeah. there are some people who are really into that sort of thing. <laughs> Weirdos. Not like Space Sims. So I'm a little annoyed by the whole glaive thing. Um, yeah. I mean, the, it, the, these glaives are not LTI, all right? So that's one thing. It's only six months insurance. But uh, the last time they they released the glaive at, I think it was last Gamescom, in order to be able to buy the glaive, you had to be, beat all of the waves of Vandal Swarm, or at least get to the last one. There wave, was a badge of honor involved. Yes. You got you also got a forearm tag. And I think you can still get it, but there's no such limit on, on this sale. You can just go buy one. You don't have to get a token. You don't have to play Arena Commander. And so for all the people that bought one last time and played through Vandal Swarm, if you saw somebody out there that's flying the glaive, that's like, okay, that person at least isn't a crap pilot, yeah. right? Now there's no such thing. Anybody can go buy that. I understand, you know, them just selling ships and some people that aren't as good being able to buy them. It's like, whatever, but I don't know. I, it just feels like I like I own I own a glaive, and it feels like it just kind of devalues the one I have because it kind of meant something before. And now it doesn't. Yeah, now it doesn't. That's that's an old discussion though. Like CIG has done things like that in the past. The reality is that none of the like achievement exclusive things are going to last with Star Citizen. I mean, there were countless different perks and ins that subscribers were only supposed to get access to and most of those have been eroded away over time you had to you had to scratch that wound didn't you you just had to you had, <laughs> just had to pick you, at it <laughs> the, there's been a lot of like pure money and pure time things over the years that they've eroded away like everything from LT, lti was originally only going to be for kickstarter guys or you know or people that were pledged before the the november time frame right of 2012 and but and and they've had a bunch of things that have eroded, like you said, over time. And this is the first one that I know of that required you to have an in-game achievement in order for you to be able to claim. And uh, so it's it's a little extra painful for me, you know, in terms of that. It is one of the differences between this game and, and Elite Dangerous is that if you see somebody flying around on a cutter, they had to bust their butt to get one. I mean, that is you, you don't you don't get a cutter unless you busted your butt somehow. Mm -hmm. And that, that that's kind of that's it, it is kind of cool that way. The glaive was a bust your butt thing, uh, right. and and it's just not. Right. It was one. it was both expensive and you had to bust your yeah. butt to get it. Yeah, it was a double double hit. So I mean, it's it, it it is it it is kind of a shame, but it's kind of sort of par for the course. I mean, it's it, it's it's been going on since the LTI debacle. You know, the, this is just the latest chapter, latest chapter in it. 
Now that we're all cut up with the latest news, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! Some say he's never been three sheets to the wind, but a pillowcase and a desk fan is his idea of a good time. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. Our recap of last week's community questions. What's your opinion of CIG's progress? How did you interpret the dev team announcement? Find anything interesting buried in the Elite beta? Give us the scoop. What's your take on the VR space sim going flat? Is this a step in the right direction, or have CCP abandoned their principles and sold out? Turkish Z German wrote in and said, What dev team announcement? CAG has made some progress in the last year? I heard Squadron 42 would be out around November 2017. Oh wait, that's an old rumor from 2015. Before he who shall not be named through a snit fit. Sean Newboy writes in and says, Love the show, everyone. The progress is disappointing, but at this point it's just par for the course. I am hoping the game comes out before 2020. In general feedback, Ken from Chicago is excited about the updated Aurora. And Eremitic Wolf says, I'm excited to see all the hard work Sega's doing and also seeing the new 600i slash G. Um, yeah, we didn't get a lot of feedback after. No, last everyone's week. still digesting. I imagine we'll probably get a lot of feedback, especially if we come up with a really crackerjack title. Yeah. Mm, that should be the title Crackerjack. Crackerjack title. Insert Crackerjack title <laughs> here. <laughs> I like bacon burgers at midnight. <laughs> but that's not gonna like that's not gonna generate controversy though. We we gotta oh, get, have to come up with something. Should we say bacon burgers also delayed one hour? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> well, actually, let's let's go Turkish to German here. Snit fit. I love this. Guard frequency throws a snit fit. Maybe you maybe that's that's a good title. Six hundred reasons to delay dinner. Six hundred reasons. <laughs> You guys saw the Twitter campaign, right? There was a, there's a Twitter campaign where they go 600 reasons and they have it. Then there's a different numbered reason. And it's all these like, um, yeah, cheesy car, car dealership. Yeah. Things. Yeah. Car dealership. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. It reminded me of the Ferengi rules of acquisition. I'm like, yeah, but what about all the ones in the middle? You're skipping around <laughs> a lot. You're skipping around quite a bit. Yeah, well, what, so like, did they, to be fair. I mean, they don't, you know, I know. they mentioned 101 or so, and they haven't given them is all. There, is there a rule about how to clean your ears? You yeah, know? there's got to I mean, be. There's like got to be one. It's <laughs> probably a section. A that's the 80s. That's the, that's the entire, you know, 80, 80 through 89. That's all about ears. No new Patreon this week, and the random winner of the week is Maurice Von Cray. Cray? Is that? Good. Uh, you're, that was fantastic as far as I'm concerned, Jeff, because that, that right. that's good. And this week's community questions for Star Citizen. What did you think of the mission system as we saw it? Do opposing missions sound unique and emergent? Or is it just going to sabotage those not interested in PvP? What was your impression of the so-called face over IP? Is it a revolutionary system supported by a neat peripheral or an unnerving gimmick with a debatably relevant hardware? What was your reaction to the Idris combat? How about the 600i? Whether you were jumping for joy or groaning, we want to know. And who's ready to die at the hands, or maybe pincers, of our new insect overlords in Elite Dangerous? Did Frontier get it right with their mission tweaks? Drop us an email, a tweet, or comment on our show's post, which you'll find on our website and over on our Facebook page. So, how was the show? Did we nail the landing, or was it yet another explosion on the barge in the ocean? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. 
why not leave us a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak and leave a comment and like us on Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. Or you can use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 182 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 183 on September 5th, so be sure to keep an ear out for our shows over at GuardFrequency.com. But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you should come over and join us at 10 p.m. Central as we record Guard Frequency live over on our Twitch channel at twitch.tv forward slash guardfreak. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email over at squawk at guardfrequency.com, and you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on that Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25 a week, you get access to the raw recordings of our live show, some Guard Frequency goodies, and an invitation to our private Elite Dangerous Flight Group. We want to thank all our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week, and we hope you'll consider making a regular contribution, because the more support we can get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. You can find us over at discord.guardfrequency.com. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek from the TV series to the MMOs, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artists, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, our staff writer, Jace Pentad, and of course, our audio engineer, Mikey. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and a special thanks to Ronald Jenkies for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkies.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. And in the audio boot, <clears throat> next we'll see what news from your favorite space lips. I did it again. Space limbs. I don't. I don't know what is that. Whippersnappers. All right, and with that old man in the lawn chair <laughs> note, uh, why don't we? He is move not on? the look. He is not the old man yeah. in the lawn chair in this room. I tell you, this is the old man in the lawn chair, the old man in the wheelchair, right, Jeff? No, okay. <laughs> and aromatic ear, aromatic aromatic Add number twenty-five. Oh, no, that should have been a dollar sign. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> it's like a Chinese menu. I'll take a number 25 with that. <laughs> yeah. Sub in an egg roll for the wonton. <laughs>